up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 16. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Restory Conference, and that will be September 16th at Lake Point Church in Rockwall, Texas. I really would love to see you there. We're going to be talking about relationships. And so if you would like to find out more information about that, go to the RestoryConference.us, so RestoryConference.us, as in the United States, and you can register and find out more information there. So please come. I'd love to see you face-to-face, and, and be sure you come up and tell me that you heard about it on the Restory Show. In fact, some of the people that will be sharing at the Restory Conference have been Restory Show guests in the past. I also would really appreciate it if you could write a few sentences about this podcast and share that on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and find the Restory Show and write a couple sentences. It would be great. It just helps get the word out. And also, if you'd like to share your own story, I have a recording device on my website at marydemuth.com. Go to the right-hand side. There will be a microphone there, and you can record up to four minutes of your story, and I'll include it on one of the future Restory Show episodes. So today I am welcoming Trieste Valencourt, and I am so excited about having her on. She uh, and I re-met at the, re- at the Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference this year, and she's got an incredible story about singleness and marriage. So without further ado, here's Trieste. Hey everyone, it's Mary from The Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have my friend Trieste Valancourt on The Restory Show, and I am so excited to have her on. We've met at the Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference a couple times, but we kind of cemented our friendship this year. So Trieste, thanks for coming on The Restory Show. Hey, happy to. So give our listeners a little snapshot of how you grew up, how you met Christ, and um, just a little bit about who you are today. All right. Well, I am an Oregonian, proud of it, born and raised in Portland, Oregon. And yeah, when I met Jesus, I usually tell people that Jesus um, came to me and introduced himself to me. I remember it pretty clearly, just lying in bed at night when I was four years old, talking to him about my day like he was my friend. He just, Jesus has been a friend to me, an active partnership friendship for a long, long time. And I'm super thankful for that. But um, so for that reason, he and I have a real close, just kind of friend, brother, sister sort of relationship. And he's the one that I have known the longest, I guess, if if you consider it that way with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And um, so I'm very comfortable around him and talking about him shamelessly, I guess. But um, so I grew up in a family of four. Um, I'm the younger of two girls. And we just grew up in a suburb of Portland, loved it, loved my family, still do. They still all live there. And I'm the one that has kind of traveled all over the place and followed my career a little bit more. But um, yeah, I I would say I grew up in a pretty normal Christian household. We went to just a small denominational church growing up, but that's part of my earlier memories. I mean, all my memories really of... Um, when I was five years old, I joined the choir, and I don't think I ever stopped. Now I'm a worship leader, and it just has continued my whole entire life. But I got my start with just um, growing up in a household that um, includes Jesus from a really early age. So I guess for that reason, I would say I tend to say that um, I've 
believed in Jesus and I've known Jesus for a very long time, the process of lordship has taken a lot more time. Um, I, I kind of I tend to think of it in terms of being being part of a royal family. I guess if if you think about the princesses that grow up in a castle, that's just their normal life, and they lead a normal life, and they get up in the morning and they put on their clothes and they play with toys and they meet with people and you know go to school or have school or whatever. They don't understand the privilege that they live in. And I think for me, having grown up um, in a believing family, I I took a lot for granted. There was a lot that was normal, and I didn't really even understand that it was different than other people. I clearly remember creative writing classes in fourth and fifth and sixth grade where I would write about write about stories from the Bible or things like that. I just I didn't know that it wasn't okay in public school necessarily to be so open about your faith. But yeah, so the the process of lordship has taken a lot more time to learn and to surrender and to hand over to the Lord, but that's been kind of the richest part of my story, I think, of just learning to do that. So um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. And what do you what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I for almost seventeen years now, I've been in the, I guess, social expression or message field. I am an editorial director and a writer at Dayspring Cards, so that usually looks like writing or directing or planning greeting cards and gifts and perpetual calendars and um, all kinds of things. Uh, related to what you'd find in a Christian bookstore or a stationery store or a church bookstore uh, that uh, that has like, encouraging words on it. Um, I did that for Hallmark for about seven or eight years and then uh, moved on to Dayspring a short time later. So I've been doing it for a long time. I love it. Yeah, it it sounds like so much fun. So I, I kind of want to be a fly on the wall in your office and shadow <laughs> you. <laughs> Well, since I work from home right now, it wouldn't be very exciting. But when it's in the office, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Okay, so share uh, with us the story that you feel compelled to share with the Restory listeners. What's on your heart and what story would you like to to say? Yeah, I think um, not only is it the most present story of my life right now, but it's also the one that you and I kind of connected over, Mary, at, at Mount Hermon. And I actually had been married for a number of days when I went to the Mountain Herman Christian Writers Conference. That's right. So newlywed. Yeah. I don't remember how many days it was, but when my fiance, now husband, and I talked about the timing of our wedding and the fact that I would have a, a business trip very shortly after, that was just very interesting timing. But yeah, I think that story uh, um, of mine is just such, not just a story of redemption in my own life, but I feel like the last year the Lord has hit home for me the power of waiting on his timing and that his timing is perfect and his plan is perfect. And uh, I have gotten to live the reward of that in a really unique way. I am, just to give a little context for that, I'm 41 and um, I turned 41 after I got married and my husband is uh, 42. Neither of us has ever been married before. And um, the fact that we found each other and the fact that we um, our character toward marriage is so similar at this stage of our lives has been a real surprise to me and just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I've just been so blessed by the whole experience. But growing up, I do remember being a fairly normal boy chasing or pushing away kind of girl. I remember I, you know, I had love interests or, you know, crush, crushes or 
I still remember my very first crush. Uh, I think I was in second grade and he was in, <laughs> I'm going to guess he was in fourth. Ooh, I don't know. Older man. I, I could say his name, but if by some random chance, <laughs> was, no, his first name was Garth. I remember that. But I just remember he was, he was so goth. Like he wore a black trench coat and had kind of long hair that, that covered one of his eyes. And I just thought that he was the coolest thing ever. But anyways, so. I know that I was interested in boys and I know that boys were interested in me too, but I think for a couple of different reasons, my love life was not ever really super strong growing up. One of the reasons was I was just kind of socially awkward. Um, I just didn't make friends super easily and definitely an introvert and definitely very studious and good grades were really important to me. And on top of that, I was molested at a very young age. And then um, in college, I was raped. And I do not blame my life choices or, you know, the way things have happened on, you know, any sort of victim mentality or anything like that. I think it just, I think my, my mindset toward boys and men um, at various times in my life just had to do with trust and being okay with having friendships with guys. But always, I just remember always, always, always having just some level of tension in me about if something got too far or if there was a boy that I thought I might be interested in, I purposefully didn't get close to him. And I remember, I remember guys like wanting to befriend me in high school and I just didn't trust it. I remember being so suspicious. I still remember a a kid that was who had a locker next to mine in high school. And he was so friendly to me. And even when I just treated him so suspiciously, like, I can't believe you're being nice to me. And I just, you know, I don't, I don't get it. And he, he was just like, we're locker buddies and (laughs) I see you every day. So hi, (laughs) just, I just didn't get it. I don't think I ever really knew how to just be a normal person, a normal girl around guys without um, being afraid of getting hurt or whatever it is. I think that's part of it. And then honestly, I think part of it is, you know, growing up as a believer and having a really super strong sense of black and white, yes and no, right and wrong, um, and a really, really strong conscience. I never wanted to cross that line. I never wanted to get too close um, to the line of intimacy because I didn't want to hurt Jesus and I are tight, so I didn't want to hurt him, and you know I didn't want to do anything that would would hurt him in any way or turn him away from me or disappoint him, which I mean is silly because I did that a million different other ways all the time. We're all so incredibly imperfect, but in that particular area, it was something I could control, and um, so yeah, just growing up, I don't know, just the dynamic I had with with men never really led to any close relationships, really close ones. It changed a little bit in college. And, um, you know, when, when you live a pretty sheltered life and then you go away to a school and you don't have parents right there, for me personally, it doesn't happen to everybody, but for me personally, my freshman year especially was pretty experimental. And, and uh, for probably three years, I, I crossed a lot of lines. And part of that was with guys and never, never super far, but it, led to a situation that got me into some pretty deep trouble and pretty deep pain. So after that, I remember just kind of drawing the line in the sand with the Lord and saying, I'm not 
I'm not going to date. I'm not going to get close to men. I'm going to just do this thing with you and, you know, have a career and I'm going to pursue my career and, uh, and I'm fine, you know, I'm fine without anything else. But so that, you know, graduating college, that, that was pretty, uh, pretty much how far it went for me in the first couple of years out of college. And then different story for another time, how I ended up graduating with pre-nursing and Spanish and ending up <laughs> in the editorial field. But that happened. And um, in the year 2000, I applied to and got accepted into Hallmark in the editorial department there, actually writing Spanish cards. So that kind of fit my major a little bit. But that involved moving, just picking up everything and moving from Portland to Kansas City, Missouri, without knowing anyone or having any hope of any anything except a job. I remember I even arrived before all my furniture in my car. So I was just totally there by myself when I first moved there. But I remember so clearly that that was a huge step of faith with God, of Him just saying, you know, I, I see you and I know you and I know what matters to you and I'm going to go with you wherever we end up. Like, I've got this, I've got your story and, and I'm going to help you write it. Even though that wasn't I don't think a part of the original plan. I knew I needed to leave home just to kind of figure out who I was. Um, it wasn't some noble obedience thing at the time. It was just, I'm going to go do this thing. And um, so anyway, for the time I was in Kansas City, I dated a few guys. You know, it was still that distance thing that I kept pretty much any time it felt like it was going to go anywhere. But that was, um, it was in Kansas City that I I first began leading worship and otherwise it had been parts of choirs and things like that. And being on the worship team at the church I was at, I st- suddenly was surrounded by a whole bunch of really healthy, safe Christian men. And it was the first time that I really experienced what true brother-sister Christian relationship can be. And it, it really helped me kind of to start understanding that men are really awesome. So that, you know, that happened, you know, that was that that way for a few years. And I would say it it started in Kansas City and then it really grew when I moved down to to Arkansas where Day Spring is. You know, I think anyone who goes through any certain situation for a long period of time probably has their ups and downs, all the different roller coastery things. So, you know, I definitely had my periods of I am so lonely, Lord. It's just, I'm all alone in this world. And I used to tell people, like, I just want that person I can take for granted. Like, I want the one person that has to celebrate my birthday with me <laughs> and who has to eat my cooking. And, you know, just the person that I knew would be my home, would be considered kind of home for me. And then there were other times where I thought, I am just, I'm rocking this thing. Like, Jesus and I are great. We don't need another person. And other <laughs> just people mess things up. Things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, who would he think he is, you know? But yeah, so so, you know, I had those moments too and that was I mean, over a course of years, plus I think another big element of that is how the Christian church views singlehood and marriage. I do not think it's intentional, but I definitely think there are stereotypes about about Christian partnership and in marriage and what what singlehood is. So that was always a little challenging. When I was younger, in my late 20s and you know early 30s, it was a little easier because I was still kind of like that free bird single girl that, you know, 
enjoyed being parts of lots of different people's families. People tended to take me in and I would adopt different families as, as my own for short times. And that was wonderful. I loved that, that sense of belonging that comes with, with knowing a lot of believers and, and just being able to be, to have the ministry of availability. That's what I would call it as a single person that, you know, I had a lot of friends who were moms that couldn't break away necessarily, but I could go to them. Or um, if they could break away, I could be spontaneous about joining them or whatever it was. So I really did enjoy it in the earlier years. It got a little harder as I got older, just uh, feeling like the fifth wheel all the time and still just constantly kind of feeling like, something was missing. And I would pray that a lot. I would ask the Lord, like, God, if you mean for me to be single for the rest of my life, if you've truly given me the gift of singlehood, which I think he gives some people, it's not probably as widespread as stereotype would want you to think. But but if you've given me that gift, then please just take away this desire of mine to have this this need filled. And if you haven't given me that gift and you intend for me to be married one day, then just lead me in that path. Like I need you to, I need you to fill that gap for me because I don't know how to do it myself. I don't play games. I'm not gonna, like, I don't even know how I feel like dating because what is dating? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so it was last fall that I met a guy who was so much like me um, and so much like what I thought my future husband was going to be. He was tall. I grew up, come from a family of tall men. So I learned pretty quickly that when I met my fiance, actually, that tall does not equal strong, powerful, and awesome. Um, my husband is the same height as I am and I'm not tall. So, <laughs> so there's that. But uh, so this guy was tall and he was um, headed to a mission in Asia somewhere. And I was headed off to Thailand on a mission and we were both worship leaders. And our first date was to go to a, like a public garden area with his guitar. And we sang worship songs together and people from the public joined us and asked for requests. And it was just this holy, awesome worship time <laughs> in the middle of, you know, it was just like heaven on a stick for me. And that, you know, that I really thought there was something there. And he did too. By our first, end of our first date, we were talking, what would marriage be like? And, but uh, after a short time, we were on an all day hiking trip and individually, we both felt the Lord say no, and we didn't really any get more, get any more than that. He got a no, and I got a no, and we didn't talk for a week because neither of us really knew what to do about it. But we finally met for coffee and just basically had to share with one another, like, the Lord said no, and none, neither of us really knows why. But um, but that was just beautiful how it came about because it was so clear that we both just wanted to be obedient to what God was saying. And it was after that that God and I kind of had a heart-to-heart. And I, I just said, Lord, obviously I thought I knew what this would look like if you had it for me. And I don't because I thought that was it. And so I said, you know, in a nutshell, I can't do this obviously without you. Um, I have this thing about online dating. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad, but I just can't stomach the idea apart from your grace. And I don't know how else to meet someone that would be a husband. And, and so I said, if you will go with me, I will go online, but only if you'll go with me, kind of like Abraham, I think it was Abraham or Moses, I get confused between the two, but he said, you know, 
if we go without you, then who, you know, they would miss you. You wouldn't be glorified in the way you should be. Do you know which one it is? I can't remember, but I know the story you're talking about. I think it's Moses. And thankfully, Moses didn't go online, but he did go. (laughs) (laughs) If you go online, oh, Lord. Um, But uh, yeah, so no. And so I went to a reputable online website, um, the part of the story I really don't like, but it's truth. So Mm -hmm. it's my story. So what can I do about it? And I was extremely shameless and unapologetic about how important Jesus is to me. Kind of like if a guy reads this and can stomach all of this, you know, romance toward Jesus, Mm -hmm. then I know that he might be for me. And uh, so, um, so I went online and my first day, the first guy that contacted me is the man I'm now married to. Wow. Um, it was just, it was the Lord saying, I see you, I hear you, and, you know, I've got somebody for you, and I'm just not going to make you have to work too hard for it. Mm. So that was pretty awesome. And we both are so, so different. Just absolutely a completely different experience from the guy last fall. But for that reason, we both have have felt all along that the Lord brought us together and he meant for us to be together. And we both knew that. And so it was not a matter of trying to figure out if we were right for one another. Honestly, it was more like, okay, so we know we're right for one another. Let's figure out how and why and and what this looks like. Um, The the phrase that as I was kind of trying to understand it during our courtship or whatever, um, I really, the only word I can think of to describe it was like, I felt betrothed. I really felt like God as my father had chosen someone for me and he'd presented that man to me and that it was my job to believe him and trust him and just walk forward in it. So because we both felt so strongly about that, we had a very short getting to know one another period, especially since we live in different cities or lived in different cities. So we met on March 26th last year, and we were engaged May 26th, and then we got married March 26th this year. So it was it was pretty fast, but I think part of the, the important part of the story has to do with just the fact that we both had not been married before. We both knew that for us, marriage is forever. Divorce is not even an option. We talked about that really early on, so we know we're in it for life. And, um, my husband, um, had had a, you know, kind of a different past than I did. He didn't know the Lord until kind of a lot later on. And so his life with women was different than, you know, my experience with men. And, uh, he just, he was experiencing a lot of fear that we wouldn't be compatible or that, you know, that once we got married, we'd discover some horrible thing we had to live with for the rest of our lives. And I was dealing with that tension of, oh, I do not want to cross a line before we get married. Like it is so, so important to me that we not cross a line. So I became the prudest of prudes. <laughs> I wouldn't even sit on the sofa with the man. I mean, it was just like, I could understand the fear he was feeling knowing how I was treating him. But it was just so important to me that we walk in integrity and purity leading up to our marriage. And we both, of course, had to press into God during that time because we both were experiencing it's just weird. It's different to to 
walk toward marrying somebody when it wasn't a feelings-based thing first. I mean, those feelings definitely have come, but but we'd had to do a lot of, of pressing into God and trusting Him and counseling with counseling with a pastor um, in our premarital counseling and all that. And but so in all of that, we really felt, we both knew that God was just saying, "Trust me." We both felt that really strongly that starting on our wedding day, things were going to be different. We didn't really know what that looked like, of course. But I will say that there is something incredibly powerful about our word. When we give our word, it was like when God gave his word, let there be light and light happened. Or the covenant he made with Abraham you know, you can think of any promise in the Bible, any any covenant that God made, anything He has ever said is manifested in His perfect timing, and that we experienced that in real time on the day of our our wedding. That the moment we said our vows to one another and made those promises to one another before God, and we we happen to get married in a state where there's such thing as a covenant marriage. It's a state sponsored thing, state approved thing or whatever. And it's actually like a step further than a marriage license where we actually say we're covenant to be married forever. And if there's any problem, we will seek counseling first. And there's actually guidelines um, that kind of put stops in before any sort of separation happens. And anyway, so from that point on, everything was different and peace erased all fear for him and all tension for me. And we truly, I mean, literally for the first week or two of our marriage, we would look at each other with surprise in our voices and our eyes and just awe before the Lord going, who would ever have guessed this? Would, it would have been this good. And I think that for me is the most beautiful part of the story is a lot of people talk about the importance of staying pure before you're married and not crossing lines with men or women or girls or guys or whatever. And I, I often hear it in terms of, well, you have to, you know, obey God and you have to, he's going to be really disappointed with you if you cross the line or it's just wrong to do that and it's bad. But nobody ever talks about the why and the beauty of the reward of following God's plan. Like God's plan is for a man and a woman to partner with one another in love and to that a covenant would be made between them because they'll be stronger for the kingdom together. And that's just something I want people to understand. I want to share that with people, you know, as often as I can, that especially younger women, you know, Bible says for older women to train up younger women and counsel them. And that's, you know, I just, I want younger women to understand it's not a matter of, you know, of, getting a little tick mark on your, on your report card with God. If you, you know, cross a line with a guy, it's more that the beauty of God's design is worth waiting for. So that, that's just, it's been absolutely amazing for me in the last several weeks. We're, we're going on two months here, two months of marriage. <laughs> You're so much experience now. <laughs> I'm so wise. You're like an old, old married woman now. <laughs> well, I am old and I am married. <laughs> but anyway... No, I love that you said that because I think you're right. We're not talking about the why. We're just talking about the the forbiddenness of it. And I I think that probably translates its way into just Christianity as a whole. Um, instead of looking at the things that we're not supposed to do or the things that we should do, it's really kind of comes back to the beginning of your story is this 
covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is reward, and I've been able to reap that reward of fidelity and faithfulness to Jesus. Every little faithful step that I've taken, I can see the fruit of it years down the road. Um, recently went through a difficult time, and uh, I just had this like innate sense of all those times of obedience kind of mattered for something. This difficult time did not shatter me because the obedience mattered and it built into my character. And, and so I can imagine that that's part of your story as well, that it's, it's this joy that comes from obedience. And, you know, Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. And so I think we have in America, and this, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but I think in America, we have this idea that Christianity is supposed to be about us and about our comfort. We don't like to talk about holiness. We don't like to talk about obedience. We don't like to talk about a long obedience in one direction <laughs> and not the band one direction either. And, uh, <laughs> but here you had, you know, how many years, 20 years of singleness. And it was that long obedience in one direction and anything else that you can pull out of that story that might be encouraging or advice to someone that's in that same kind of situation. Yeah. I think, you know, what, what comes to mind is Matthew 25 talks about the, the kingdom of heaven is like the master who has three servants and he gives the servants different talents according to their abilities, a 10 and a five and a two, I think. And, um, you can, of course, read it on your own, but I'm going to nutshell it here and just say, you know, toward the end of the story, the the master looks at the servants who have invested in what they've been given. And the Lord says, or the master says, um, you know, you've been faithful with little, so now I'll put you in charge of much. Um, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think, I, I think about that parable and I think about if I could verbalize how I feel, if I could verbalize Jesus's emotions toward me or, the, or God's emotions toward me um, in the mix of, of all of this, of having waited and gotten married at a later age in his timing and waiting on his timing for the covenant and all that. I just, I, it's, I think of that thing. I just think it's like, he's saying, you know, thank you for believing me. It's almost like a thank you that he's given to us, to my husband and I both. And, I mean, I think I've, any of us can think of times when you're trying to communicate something to someone and it's really important to you and that someone has a choice to either believe you or not. And if they don't believe in you, it just feels awful. And if they believe what you've said and act on that, even if they don't have proof toward that, it just feels so good. Like, you know, thank you so much for believing what I'm saying. And and I think our father's the same way. I just, I think there's, Life wouldn't, you know, a life of faith, there would be no faith if there weren't darkness in front of you. If you could see all your steps, then there wouldn't be faith. And and we're called into a life of faith. So God obviously is going to give us opportunities to trust Him in big, huge, major, and seemingly unnecessary ways, or at least countercultural ways. And this is one countercultural way that I've gotten to walk, but... Um, I think my hugest, hugest message to people, and I mean, I could say it till I'm blue in the face and it's going to have to be one of those things where people just say, like, I believe, I choose to believe you when you say this, it is worth the wait. It's absolutely worth the wait, you know, and my life, my intimacy path 
past. You know, what my past is far from perfect. But I also know that throughout that story, the time and time again that I came back to the Lord, he redeemed me. And uh, I think, you know, uh, we're not called to perfection. We're called into a life of transformation done by the Holy Spirit. But I think the success that we can look to is living in the aim of perfection. If knowing that we're being moved from glory to glory, we can aim toward Jesus. And when we fall or when we get off track, we just pick ourselves up and aim again. And that, you know, that is knowing that my life hasn't been perfect and that I have experienced what I have, that my husband and I have experienced what we have. I just know God's grace is overwhelming and the blood of Jesus covers all. And, um, and it's worth the wait. It's just absolutely worth waiting for. So, I love that. I'm reminded of the scripture that talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we think of that in terms of a negative about not having faith. But then if you flip that on its side, having faith pleases God. And, and a pleased God means delighted, like he's delighted in those who demonstrate their faith through the long haul. And again, I think all of us can... Uh, we can endure a short hardship. It's these long hardships that are the hard ones where we keep banging our head and saying, why? Not again, not again. Why am I reminded of this again? Why do I have to you know, bend the knee again? Why do I have to pray again? I've been praying for 30 years. Why do I, you know, all these questions that come up and and whether it's singleness or, or a myriad of other paths that we're walking, um, he is pleased by our faith. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. And I'm curious too, like as a worship leader, how has how has this journey affected the way that you lead worship? Gosh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I know worship leading has been such a journey for me since, you know, starting at the age of five in a denominational church choir. Um you know, wearing your robes and your little purple stoles and stuff, which was <laughs> awesome. I love how I grew up. And I'm so thankful for my foundation, you know, and then you go through a journey and a process of, you know, of course, we all deal with performance over the years and, you know, that performance has to break off. It has to break off in worship leading. I mean, in anything we do, but I, you know, can talk in terms of worship, of course, that any sort of performance on the part of a worshiper, worship leader, is going going to interrupt the flow of relationship between you and the throne room, you and Jesus. And so um, I just, I've, God has done a lot to break that out of me and break it off of me. And um, the more I see God's faithfulness toward me, the easier it is to look at him, to look toward him, and to worship toward him or sing toward him or just pour out myself toward him in love and in trust. Uh, I know I talked early on about trust and, and having to build that trust with men and others. I trust God above anyone else. I can say that with with a human heart even, that I trust Jesus with my life. And that trust and that love that I have for him because of the faithfulness I've seen just makes me be able to lavish myself on him. And I could care less if people don't 
think I look ridiculous or if they think I look ridiculous and I'm worshiping or, you know, if I hit a wrong note or whatever it is, of course I, I aim for excellence, but, but what I care about is that, that sense of, of pleasure and love that I have going on between, between me and the Lord. And so I think with my husband now and, and my marriage, and the incredibly awesome wedding that we have, it was far from perfect and far from expensive. Well, I mean, weddings are always expensive, but it wasn't extravagant by any means. But man, it was just the most beautiful thing. Um, having experienced all of that and having walked through all of this with with my, my fiance and now husband over the last year, I see that the truth remains that, what is that scripture that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. And I don't read that as God's going to come and see exactly what what I want and, you know, give me everything I want. But I think the more we delight in Him and pleasure in Him and build relationship with Him, the more our hearts look like His and we begin desiring for ourselves what He wants for us. So I think that has been part of my story in the last year that, man, I've worked really hard. And I won't lie. I mean, I will not lie. Being single in this Christian world is not always easy. There, I mean, obviously, it's you have to really, really work at finding your joy sometimes and, and blooming where you're planted and trusting that there may be something different in the future, but that doesn't mean you need to stop living now. So, you know, in the in the the work that I've done to delight myself in God as I am, um he has shift, shaped my desire to match what he wants for me. So, that happens to include a short adorable little man that's now my <laughs> husband. <laughs> and you've kind of already answered this how God has um restoried you in the past year. I mean you're now a married woman and you live in a new locale. How has the transition been to being married and living in a whole new place and uh how's that affected you? I think probably I mean beyond what I've said the thing that comes to mind is I've known uh in my process of of working with God and, and praying and figuring out if this man was right for me and if marriage was right for me. Um, one of the things that really convicted me and, and helped me make, make my decision was the knowledge that I want more than anything to be as prepared as I can possibly be for my bridegroom, Jesus, at the end. And I think as humans, we have so many edges that we need rubbed off and, you know, so many misconceptions or selfishnesses or, you know, whatever it is that, um, that need reforming and reframing. And I want to make sure and clearly say he can do that whether we're married or single. I mean, he's done a ton of that in me over the years. He's had lots and lots and lots of practice because I've had a lot of years of singlehood. But I knew that for me, marrying this man was going to be the very best way that I could have some edges rubbed off and and become a little less self-focused and a little more focused on this man and on marriage and a partnership. So in the past year, I think that, that uh, if I put it in terms of story, it's like um, I think I book one was written um, – my wedding day, like finished and closed. And I think a new manuscript has opened up and it's like, uh, I have a whole other, you know, sequel to look forward to now, but I know it's going to involve a lot of refining and a lot of edges and a lot of just 
storming the gates of heaven going, how do I do this thing called wifehood, Lord? And how do I put this man first? How do I love a husband? And, you know, how do I pray for him? And what does it look like to lay down my life for another human being in the way you're asking me to? And so that is my current story. And what the last year has looked like is finishing one book and starting another one. And uh, we are currently looking at fostering and adopting and that whole gigantic thing, monster, that, that may come too. So, yeah, there's a lot coming. Well, I just appreciate that. And I appreciate your story. And uh, as I have reflected on, you know, just meeting, re-meeting you this past year, that is the thing that kind of comes to mind is just this absolute love for Jesus and this infectious desire to see him known and loved and just to demonstrate that in your own life. And now I look forward to seeing him do that through your marriage and your family as it as it expands in new ways. So thank you so much for being on the Restory Show today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks so much for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, for those who are in a holding pattern and are waiting for answer to prayer or have been walking a road for a very long time, I pray that you would bring encouragement and vision and the ability to to make the next decision that is toward you. Father, I also thank you that you forgive us for our sins. You sent your son to die for us and that we do not have to be condemned, that we have been redeemed and that your word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for those who struggle with a past and maybe feel haunted by it, I just thank you that today the the slate is wiped clean because of your amazing act on the cross. And Lord, help us to be faithful to you, to have fidelity to you, to hear from you and do what you ask and meld our hearts to yours in ways that, that we can find our full satisfaction in you. Help us to trust you and to have faith for the next steps. And instead of always demanding that that you answer our prayers according to our will, may it be that we ask and pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you that you are a God who does answer prayer, and I pray that this week there would be some small pinpricks of light that you have answered some prayers that we've been praying for a long time. I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marriedemuth.com restory or actually forward slash restory 3-16. And may you live a brand new story this week.